turn with me in your Bibles to John 14. Father, we worship you. We have gathered here in the name of Jesus to bring you praise, to ascribe worth and glory to your name, to make your name great, to exalt you and to magnify you, to make much of you. I thank you, God, for uh, receiving our praise as we sing, as we declare these wonderful, magnificent truths about our Savior and about our redemption and about just this great salvation that you have accomplished and delivered to us, and that, we are, that we walk in with great freedom and love. Thank you, Lord, that you have set us free, that you have delivered us. You've rescued us from that miry pit, and you have set our feet upon the rock. Jesus, thank you that you are the rock of our salvation, and we give you glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you that we have your Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine the scriptures to us this morning, that you would open our eyes and our hearts. We want to behold your face in the scriptures. We want to behold your glory and to be changed, to be transformed from the inside out. And so I pray that you would minister to our greatest needs by your word and that we would bless you and honor and please you as we have come to your word and humbled ourselves before your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. Over the last several weeks, as we've been working our way through John 14 ever so slowly, we have been considering hope. Hope. Jesus has been ministering hope to his disciples. And we talked about hope in the promises of God. Can we drop that screen? Sorry. Well, I prefer to have the screen down during the service. And so, at any rate, uh, we've been talking about hope. Hope in the promises of Jesus. Hope in the assurance of the Father. Hope for troubled hearts. And I think we can never get tired of talking about hope because we all need it. We desperately need it. Well, today we're going to pause with that, and we're going to look at one verse. Next week, as we pick up, we'll be considering, man, that thing takes forever to drop down, golly. Usually we try to drop it during meet and greet so that you don't even notice that's happening, but with the pictures of Israel, it kind of messes that up. Anyways, we're going to look at one verse and pause kind of the study on hope, and we will revisit, we will pick back up next week, and we're going to talk about the hope of the Holy Spirit, the hope of the Helper, the Comforter, amen? But for today, I want to consider one very important truth that Jesus actually says four times in this following passage. Four different times He says this one statement, and so it's an important one. And it's one that we can isolate and really focus on today. And next week, we'll look at this in the larger context of the passage to follow. But for today, I want to consider loving obedience. Loving obedience. And so if you would, look with me at John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So we see here that this is obviously something that's important in the mind and heart of Jesus, given the repetition. And uh, I wanted to just slow down today and consider this one thing, because I think this is a vital truth for the Christian. It's a key that unlocks a lot of really our power and ability to do the things that we've been called to do. So I want to consider a few things. Today, we're going to consider the motivation behind keeping Jesus' commands. There is a motive that we have, the, the central and best motive, the highest motive that empowers us to keep His commands. Another thing, what happens if we fall short of His commands? What happens if we fall short of keeping Jesus' commands? Another one, what does it indicate about us if we disregard His commands? What does that say about us if we disregard His commands? And lastly, what are His commands that we may keep them? What are His commands that we might keep them? So that's kind of some of the things I want us to consider today in our short time together. Now, I want to approach this with a healthy level of caution, a healthy level of caution. This is not a checklist. I repeat, this is not a checklist, and this is certainly not a guilt trip, because I think we all know that we don't really measure up. We know there's not even a a really to it. We don't measure up. We don't, and we know this. And it's okay, because we belong to the one who did and does measure up perfectly, So this is not to guilt us into feeling like I'm already struggling and now you just listed off, you know, a hundred more things that I have to do now. That's not what this is. And it's also not just a checklist. Okay, boom, 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 I'm doing it because that's really the two extremes that you can run into. Either I'm the worst, you know, and I'm a failure and I can't do this and Or the other extreme, which is probably worse, is that, got it, done it, that's me, checked all the boxes, I'm the man, you know, I can see why God wants me on his team. And so we have to avoid both of those, either of those pitfalls. Now, we strive to be a church that is full of grace and truth. That is something that we we desire to be. Because our Lord was full of grace and truth. Now, we could never be full of grace and truth the way that Jesus was. Most of the time, we usually have to um, exercise one at the expense of the other. And a lot of people do. So you have some people who are all about truth, but no grace. And they're all about their sticklers to the law and demanding obedience, and they're all about outward externals especially, but you find very little grace there. Now, there are others who are all about grace. They're all about love to the exclusion of truth. They're, they're not really going to uh, have a standard that we really try to live by or um, you know, seek to... to guide our lives by. And so Jesus was able to do both. He was full of truth at all times, 
and yet he was also full of grace. And I really, I kind of see that in this concept. We want to be obedient, we must be obedient, but we do it for love's sake. It's because we love Jesus. And so that's the balance of grace and truth. It is loving obedience. Loving obedience. And you know, the reality as disciples of Jesus, which we are, if He is your Lord, my Lord, and He is, and He's our teacher, and we are His students, then we have to follow in His footsteps. He said that. We must. John 13, we've already talked about that. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And so we do love the Lord. He is our Lord. We do want to do the things that He has commanded us to do, and we know that there is great blessing in it. Jesus said, if you do, you are like the person who built their house on the rock. And when the storms come, the house will stand because it's built on a solid foundation. Amen? And so it's our desire to keep the commands of Christ. We want our house, as it were, to be built on a solid foundation. We want the blessings of Christ and God in our lives. We love Him, and we want to bring a smile to His face. We want to honor Him, and that is our greatest motivation. So, with that, let's go ahead and dive in. Number one, We keep Jesus' commands because we love Him. Can I get an amen? Amen. We keep Jesus' commands because we love Him. Now, our love is in response to His love. His love is an initiating love. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Did you get that? We love because He first loved us. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So God intervened, God initiated, God sought after us, God draw, drew us to Himself. God loved us first. So we're simply giving back to God that which we first received from Him. And so that's the starting point. We have to realize that. God made a way. God made it possible. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 36, He spoke of a time when He would give us His Spirit, when He would take out our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, and that He would write His law on our hearts, and that we would desire to know Him and to keep His law and to do it from a regenerate heart full of the Holy Spirit. And so God has done that. He has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and we love Him for it, and we desire to keep His commands because we love Him, not to get His love. You understand that? It's because we love Him that we keep His commandments. We don't keep His commandments so that we can get His love. And 
many people in the world, that's what they think about Christianity. That's what it is. Get your life right. Keep His commands. Then you'll be pleasing in His sight. Then you will have His love. It just doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. It never will work that way. And I lived with that mindset for many years. You know I've told you this on a number of occasions. I said, when I get my life right, then I will come to God. I'll go back to church. It's kind of the the way I always saw it. And that's simply not the way that it is. You have to receive God's love where you are. God loves you right where you are at. You just call upon the name of Jesus, receive His gift, receive His love, receive His forgiveness, receive His salvation. By faith, He gives you a new heart that delights in Him, delights in His law, desires to know Him and walk with Him, and He gives you the power to do it. Amen? That's the law of the Spirit. That's the, that's the law of the Spirit, the law of grace. We love Jesus because He set us free from the fear of judgment. Amen? 1 John four seventeen says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Now listen to this. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The word perfected there, it means complete maturity. If you have matured in love, there is no fear. We don't fear God. We don't fear torment because our sins have been punished already on His Son, Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven and washed away once and for all. There is no more fear of torment. There is no more fear of judgment. Amen? And so there remains nothing but love. Nothing but love. And mature love casts out fear. If you understand, if you have received God's love, and that's a hard thing to do because we are a works-based society. And it's hard to receive the free gift of God and live in that and walk in that. But if you have, then you know that it's all love and no fear. Fear is a very weak motivator. A lot of people do operate by fear. A lot of people are driven and controlled by fear. It's a miserable way to live. And they try to bring that into the Christian faith. And it just won't work because at the end of the day, even fear is not enough to cause us to walk obediently. Fear is not enough. It has to be love. Love for God. Love for God is what compels us. That's what Paul said. It's the love of Christ that compels us. The love of Christ that compels us. We love Jesus because we have been forgiven an immense debt. If you are here today and you know Jesus, you have been forgiven an immense debt. You'll never know in this life just how immense and immense of a debt you have been forgiven. We'll never know. We will never know. But this comes up in Luke chapter 7. Remember Jesus is at a Pharisee's house and this woman comes in and begins to uh, wash his feet with her tears and her, the hair of her head and the Pharisee is looking at this woman and despising her in his heart and thinking to himself, if Jesus really was a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is and he would not allow this to be happening. Well, Jesus, perceiving this, 
tells this story about someone who was two people. They both had a debt to pay. One had a very large debt. One had a very small debt. They were both forgiven. Then Jesus says, who is going to love more? And the Pharisee rightly answered, the one who was forgiven much. And then he very quickly turns the story around on Simon and the woman who is here washing his feet. And he talks about how Jesus came into Simon's house and didn't receive any courtesy, no hospitality, no love, no greeting. This woman has not ceased to humble herself and love Jesus and express her devotion because she's been forgiven much and she knows it and she loves much, loves much. And so when we really understand what we have been forgiven, an eternal debt that we would spend all of eternity paying off and we would never pay off because we had sinned against, transgressed against a infinitely holy and righteous God to whom we had to give an account. When you realize that and you know what an immense debt you have been forgiven, it has been paid in full, you love much. Amen? This is, these are the kinds of things that motivate us. We've been loved. We've been forgiven. We have been rescued from the fear of judgment and torment. How can we not love Him when we realize these things? We love Jesus and keep His commands because they're a delight to us. His commands are good. They are not burdensome. 1 John 5.3 says that very thing. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. God is not holding out. God is not just trying to crush your ability to have any joy in this life, and so He's putting these restrictions on you so that you'll just be miserable. A lot of people think that, right? But God knows what's best for His creation, and He has given us His commands so that if we would obey them, we would experience the fullness of His joy. I'm, you know what? That, that old life, there's nothing there for me anymore. I don't want that anymore. Okay, that, that kind of stuff might be fun for a season. I remember my rebellious teenage years. It was fun for a second, you know? But then all of a sudden you get a little older and it's not fun anymore. You experience real-life consequences. You experience real-life tragedy and devastation as a result of your sin, my sin, our sin, and now you're a slave to it. It was all fun and games before, but now all of a sudden it's inescapable. It's slavery is what it is. And so God knows what's best for us. His heart is for us. He created us. He's given us His laws so that we would experience life as it was intended to be. Amen? His laws are a delight. Now, as I have said before, we do not keep Jesus' commands in order to earn His love and favor. It doesn't work that way. Favor, grace, is a gift. Okay? And so we don't earn His favor. We don't do things in order to get grace. That is a contradiction. It just is what it is. He's a good and gracious God, and He gives us His kindness, His goodness. Let me say this. Our failure to obey Jesus' commands does not diminish His love for us. Let me repeat that. Our failure to keep Jesus' commands will in no way diminish His love for us. We will fail to keep His commands. 
I'm sure already today we have failed to keep His commands. If we haven't, it will happen before the day is out, okay? Jesus will not love us any less for that. His love is fixed. His love is greater than anything that we could ever know. There's nothing that we could do to make Him love us any more. We have all of His love completely and fully and perfectly. Amen. Amen. And there's nothing that we can do to diminish that love. There's nothing that we can do to make Him take His love back from us. Jesus does not love us in proportion to our ability to keep His commands. Jesus' love is not proportionate to our obedience. It's another way of saying it. It is what it is. It's vast. It's amazing. It's incomprehensible. And so our inability to keep Jesus' law... His, his commands does not affect His love for us. We need to know that. We keep His law because we love Him, because we desire to walk in His ways. We desire to please Him and bless Him because we desire for ourselves what He desires for us, and we keep it from a place of having already been accepted by Him. Not to gain His acceptance, but from a posture of acceptance. I'm accepted in the Beloved. I'm accepted in Christ. I have His perfect love. Nothing can take that away from me. Nothing can snatch me out of His hands. I delight to do Your will, O Lord. Amen? And let me just say this. You know, on the flip side, Jesus says that you cannot say that you love Him and have no regard for His commands whatsoever. You cannot say, I love Jesus but you have no concern whatsoever. I'm not talking about struggling. I'm not talking about messing up. I'm not even talking about having seasons of backsliddenness. We have all been there. I think God uses those seasons to, to break us, to mold us, to humble us, to teach us of His faithfulness. If we could write our own story, I'm sure we wouldn't have that in there, but God uses it nonetheless. But I'm talking about living a life where God exists to do your will if you give any thought to God at all, and you certainly have no concern for His, his commands, His laws, and you have no conviction whatsoever if you break His commands. That's something, that would be more concerning to me, right? And so that's something we have to examine ourselves, examine our own hearts, and take into consideration. But Jesus says, why do you say you love me if you don't keep my commandments? Loving obedience does demonstrate genuineness and sincerity. You know, love in general does that. There, you, we have to demonstrate our love. I, I really strive to demonstrate my love for my wife and my daughters regularly, and I delight to do so. It blesses me deeply to see them be blessed, right? And so, if it were the kind of thing where I was telling my wife that I loved her but never showed her that I loved her, she would probably really question if I really mean what I say. And sometimes we can do the exact opposite. We can say something and do the very opposite. I could say that I love her and do very cruel and inconsiderate things that hurt her. And so there's a real contradiction here, right? And so Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, you'll obey me, and we will demonstrate our genuineness, we will demonstrate our sincerity when we keep his commands and obey him. And that's a good thing. That's something that we should do. We want to walk the walk. We talk the talk, we want to walk the walk. 
in our care and treatment one for another, for our spouses, for our children, uh, for God above all. And so this is one very awesome way in which we can do that. And let me just say this before we kind of move to the, the second part. That is, we are not attempting to fulfill the law of God. Okay, I am not trying to put us back under the law of God. The law ultimately does one thing, and that is condemn us. It shows us that we are law breakers. God's law is good. It's perfect. It's a reflection of His perfection. But what it also shows us is that we are not perfect, that we are law breakers, that we are in big trouble, and that we need a Savior. Okay? And so we have to go to Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus alone. And if you try to mix the two, then Christ is of no, no value, no benefit. You have to keep the whole law or nothing at all. And we can't keep the law, so we have to run to Christ. We have to run to Christ. There's this phrase in, in Galatians 5, it says that you have severed yourself from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Now, sometimes people use that phrase, fallen from grace, what they mean is you have sinned, and in your sin, you have broken your relationship with God, you have fallen away from grace. Now, that makes no sense because grace is a gift. And what Paul is talking about here is people who would try to approach God on their own good works. So, what they're essentially saying is, I don't need grace because I can approach God through the law. That's how they have fallen from grace, right? And so, I'm not attempting to put us back under the law. We've been set free for freedom's sake, Galatians 5.1. We have to run to Christ and cling to Christ. And so, this is not some attempt to put us back under this bondage that we can never carry or fulfill. And so, I, I believe I've made, made my case thoroughly there, right? So, we know what we are to do, and we know why we are to do it. We're to keep His commandments because we love Him, to keep it from a posture of love and having been loved. And so, having said all of that, I just wanted to take a few minutes and talk about the commands of Christ, the commands of Christ. And um, as you go through the Gospels, you can find many commands that Jesus gives, right? And if you Google it, you might find lists of like 50, 50 commands of Christ in the New Testament. I saw one that was like 300 commands. And, you know, a lot of these will overlap, and some of them are kind of a stretch. I'm not so sure it's actually a command of Christ, but... At any rate, I, uh, I have a, just a list here because I think that these kind of categorize and lay out for us a snapshot of a person that walks in the commands of Christ. And I would encourage you, this is the kind of thing that causes us to want to study the Scriptures because we want to know Christ's commands so that we can keep them, right? Amen? Yes or no? And so, I'm not giving you an exhaustive list, first off, because we would be here for a lot longer, but also because I want you to study the Scriptures for yourself and understand for yourself Christ's commands, and by God's grace and by His Spirit, seek to be one who walks in their Master's footsteps. 
But having said that, I just wanted us to consider some that I would, I would say are kind of front and center for the Christian life. And so with that, if we want to please Jesus and we want to keep His commands, what are some of those? And of course, we can only do this by the power and the Spirit of God. By the power and the Spirit of God. So I would start with, you must be born again. That's really the starting point. You must be born again. If you are not born from above, if you have not been given a new heart, if you've not been made alive in Christ, then none of this means anything, really. And uh, it just makes you really more guilty before God because you know the truth and you've rejected it. And so you must be born again. You must understand that you need a Savior, that you have fallen short of the glory of God, but God is loving and kind, and so He paid the price for you so that you wouldn't have to pay it. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die and to take the debt that we deserved upon Himself. And Jesus said that if we receive that, if we believe that, then He will give us His righteousness, give us salvation, He will give us forgiveness. He will give us His Holy Spirit. And then we are equipped, empowered to be able to carry out these commands. Amen? So you must be born again. If there's anyone in here who does not know Jesus savingly, trust Him. Even where you are sitting right now, you can believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that He is King, that He is the Son of God, and that you need Him and you need His forgiveness and His salvation and His power. You can believe that right now, and be born again. Amen? And so, we start there. Jesus said regularly, repent, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. We must turn from our old ways, our old life, and turn to Jesus, turn to God. We cannot do both simultaneously. We cannot live a life of rejection, and at the same time, think that we can walk with Jesus. And I knew that about myself through all the years that I was in my previous life outside of Christ. I knew that the two didn't go together. So there came a point when I was sick of my life as it was. I knew I couldn't continue on like, like that anymore. And I thought, I want, now I, I want to walk with Jesus. I'm ready to turn away from that. I'm ready. And I just want to give God my life. And, to, and I knew that if I didn't, I could not do anything to change my, my life. And I knew, I knew what my life was and would be apart from God. It was the grace of God that I came to that realization. And I cried out to Jesus. And, I, you know, and I, I asked Him, take my life and restore it. Save me. Use me. I repented. But then the Christian life is regular repentance. Daily repentance. When we sin, we confess our sins, right? That just means to agree with God and to turn. Turn from it. Turn to God repent. And that is because we all know that we're not perfect. We know that we mess up. And so the Christian life is a life of regular repentance. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God. Now these first commands here really deal with our heart towards God, our relationship with God. And then it it becomes very uh, others focused so that you, we really see that it's our our relationship with God and our relationship with others we see that in the commands of Christ so we want to seek first the kingdom of God and all of these other things that we worry about and are concerned over God will take care of that God will add these things to us amen 
But we have to seek first His kingdom. We have to live for Him and for the things that matter to the Father. Jesus says, fear God and not man. Fear the one who can kill you and cast your soul into eternal hell. Don't fear men. Don't fear what man can do, right? Fear God. And in that sense, we do fear God, and then we come to God, repent, trust God, and then He's our Heavenly Father, and we enjoy the love of God. Jesus said, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. See, we're all about laying up earthly treasures, are we not? I mean, it's what we do. I'm convicted even as I say this. You know, sometimes I just get throat punched by the Holy Spirit when I'm up here. We lay up treasures on earth for ourselves. And Jesus says, and I'm not saying that's wrong or sinful, but Jesus says what you really need to do is lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. We need to have a mind towards the eternal things. Do not be totally consumed with the here and now that you neglect eternity, that you neglect investing in and serving in and laying up for yourself treasures that endure, where moth cannot eat it, rust cannot destroy it, the thief cannot come in and steal it. So serving God here and now with the resources that He's given us so that we have something to look forward to on that day when we stand before Him. And I, uh, I know that on that day, we will all wish that we would have done more with the time that we had here. And so take that into consideration. Jesus knows what's best for us. He tells us, lay up treasures in heaven. Use your time here wisely for eternity. Live in light of His return. I've talked a lot about this. We know that His return could be soon, so we need to live as though He could come back at any moment. His return could be long delayed, so we need to dig in and invest in the long term. And we need to take the resources that He has given us, not bury it in the ground, not bury our talents, as it were, but put them to work for the kingdom of God, because they're all His. You know the guy that buried his talent in the ground and that, so that he could give it back? to uh, the master when he returned, you know that story? The master was very displeased, remember that? Well, we do worse. We don't even bury it in the ground. We spend it on ourselves. We take what he's given us and we spend it on ourselves. And so we have to be mindful of the master's return. We want to live in a way that pleases him so that when he returns, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus says that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. To take up the cross, it means to die, essentially. And I'm dying to myself, I'm dying to my old life, I'm saying, Jesus, I'm yours, and I'm following you. It's your will, it's your way for my life. Jesus says at the same time, take His yoke upon you, because He will give you rest. The burden, the burden of this world, the burden of religion, the burden of whatever. Jesus says, cast that off and take my yoke upon you. Come to Jesus because in him you will find rest. In Jesus you will find rest because there is salvation in his name. There is love and acceptance in his name. He is your perfect righteousness and peace. He is the prince of peace. And in him you have life and you have it abundantly you can rest in Him. It's done. It's finished. You don't have to work your way to God anymore. You can rest because Christ has done it for you. 
Jesus says that we're to love one another as He has loved us. Love one another as He has loved us. And He says that we're to serve one another as He has served us. And so this is in relation to the body of Christ. We are to be those who love and serve one another. How? The way that He did for us, which is amazing, because He has loved us beyond anything that we could ever fully understand, and He has served us beyond anything that we could fully understand. So are we loving others and serving others at all? And that's something that we have to consider. Are we loving others and serving others as Christ has loved us and served us? And Jesus said that the greatest of all is the servant of all. That is the mindset that pleases Jesus. Not that we would be proud or boastful or puffed up, but that we would walk in humility, that we would be servants as our Lord was a servant. Jesus says, let your light shine before men. Let your light shine before men that your heavenly Father would be glorified. No one lights a candle and puts it under a basket. We want to be a city on a hill. We want to live out the love of Christ. We want to obey God and walk in His ways. And we want to be a witness and a testimony to a dark and lost world. Jesus said, if you love Him, you'll keep His commandments. He says, let your light shine before men. Be reconciled to your brother. That's another one. If you're going to sacrifice to God and then you remember your brother has something against you or, or vice versa, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and reconcile with your brother. So we are to be those who pursue, pursue reconciliation. Why? Because we've received the greatest reconciliation the world has or ever will know. We've been reconciled to God. How can we not be about reconciliation one to another? Forgive offenders and offenses from the heart. From the heart. We are to forgive those who have offended us, and we must do it from the heart. Jesus says, if you don't, neither will your Father forgive you. And so that's serious business. We have to take forgiveness seriously. Why? Because we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven immense debt. And yet we want to hold some scrap stuff against somebody else, you know, some crumbs compared to the offense that we have committed against the king of eternity, right? So we've been forgiven. If we know that, we must also forgive. Jesus commanded us to live sexually pure lives, not just outwardly, but even in our minds and in our hearts. Remember he said that if you look upon another woman or man to look with lust in your heart, you've already committed the sin in your heart. And so Jesus expects purity, purity for his people, Keep your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Remember that? Jesus said anything beyond that, it's sin. You don't have to swear by God or swear by anything else. You ought, your word ought to be solid. When someone says yes, that means yes, period. No means no, right? Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What's interesting about that, that's not necessarily new with Jesus, but it's different. Because Jesus, before Jesus, it was, don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. It's kind of a negative spin. So all you have to do is refrain from doing, you know, jerk stuff to people. Jesus said, I'm going to take it a step further. You need to do for others the kinds of things you would have people do for you. Jesus said, pray 
Pray persistently and pray in faith. We are to be people of prayer like our Lord was a man of prayer. Jesus says that when we do good deeds, don't do it to be seen. When you fast, fast secretly. When you pray, pray in private. When you give, give in such a way that you're not putting it on front street for everyone to see. Now, this isn't saying we can't pray publicly. We ought to pray publicly, but we don't pray so that we can be seen and heard and admired for our eloquence. You understand? But we're to be people who pray. We are to be people who do think good things not to be seen. And then lastly, make disciples. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all the things that have been commanded us. That's what it is to be a disciple, is to make disciples. And so, there it is. Um, these are things right here that I, I think are just crucial it's the, the kind of mind that we need to have towards God, the kind of heart that we need to have towards God. I think this describes the kind of relationships that we would have one with another. Um, if you want this list, feel free to reach out to me afterwards, and I'll make some copies. Sometimes people ask me for that. But again, this is not exhaustive, and this is not a checklist. But I just, as I read through the Scriptures, I look at these things and think, this is, I want to be like this, you know? I want to love Jesus. I want to bless His holy name. I want to look like my Lord. I want to keep His commandments. I want to be the real deal. And I want to live like this. And you can. We can. And we must. Amen? Because we love Him. And if we love Him, what? We'll keep His commands. All right, let's pray. We love You, Lord. We praise You. And we want to keep Your commandments. Your commandments are good. They're pure. They are what is right, and they are best for us. But they are not always easy. Our flesh is ravenous. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we have an enemy of our souls who is seeking to afflict us and accuse us. And we live in this world that is seeking to conform us into its image all the time ever increasingly so. And yet here we are, pilgrims in this land, seeking to live and look like our Lord Jesus, to be different, to be holy as you are holy, Lord, to please you in the midst of this very dark and dying world. So help us, Holy Spirit. Give us strength. Give us all that we need, and we have all that we need through you. We have all that we need through our relationship with Jesus Christ to live a godly life in this present age. And so we love you, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you, and it's in your precious name, amen. All right, shall we stand? I would like to just read this closing prayer as a blessing over us all before we depart. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have 
strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to Him who is able to do far abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God's blessing be upon you this week. May He fill you with His Spirit. May He lead you in love. May He provide for your every need. May He strengthen you in your inner person, use you for His glory, and may you truly experience the joy of His salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys next Sunday.